0: Welcome to the Pursuit of Peace podcast and we are your hosts Gladys Heringer, and I'm Kim Whetstone and we are so glad that you have joined us today as we are going to continue our series on pursuing peace through the holiday season. Now I want you to hang with us today we're having a few technical difficulties but you are not going to want to miss this discussion. Today we're going to be taking a look at what it means for us to maintain emotional health while engaging with our families this holiday season. I am so excited about our guest today. Today's guest is Dr. Terry Watson. She is a board certified clinical psychologist and an approved clinical supervisor with the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, having spent thousands upon thousands of hours equipping and training psychologists, counselors, and marriage and family therapists. Her clinical interests include integration of faith and psychology, cross-cultural applications of psychology, as well as marriage and family therapy and women's issues. In addition to her work in supervision, Dr. Watson is Dean and Professor of Psychology, Counseling, and Family Therapy at Wheaton College. Dr. Watson, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you here.
1: Thank you. I'm so glad
2: to be with you today. Yeah, thanks for coming. So, we're going to start with some fun questions to get to know you. Great. And you didn't know any of these questions, so this should be fun. (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) So, would you rather... Dr. Watson, to have three hands or three feet?
1: Oh, definitely three hands. Then I could have two keyboards, right? <laughs> and do good. my email that's, that's twice right. as fast. Yeah. I was thinking about laundry, but
0: that's also good.
1: <laughs> or drink coffee while I'm typing with yes. both hands. Imagine that'd be that'd
2: be that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Will you rather sleepwalk or sleep talk?
1: I, maybe sleep talk that could be kind of interesting yeah, I want to know think my husband would enjoy that
2: yeah, yeah. and the last <laughs> one
0: <laughs> I'm sorry so her husband is also a psychologist and so I'm really curious what he would unearth in the midst of the sleep talking also exactly he yes. might
1: understand me better than he ever has in yeah. 35 years <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's fantastic okay so our last question is would you rather to have the ability to read people's mind or to make two people fall in love
1: <laughs> oh, well, you know, psychologists, were often accused of reading people's minds, <laughs> but we really can't. Um, but maybe make people fall in love. Yeah, that um, would be fun. As long as they want to. Yeah, <laughs> that <laughs> would be terrible. <they> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yes. That would be terrible. It could oh, be a bad superpower
0: so otherwise.
2: <laughs> or... Oh, thank you for going on more with that. <laughs> um, so to start our interview, one of the first questions, and I was thinking of this before um, when you tell us that she was going to be with us, and we're so grateful, is um, what are the reasons when we think about holidays? What are the reasons that why we experience anxiety when we think about holidays and with our families? Is it normal? I think that's my first question. Is, Am I yeah. normal
1: for feeling that? <laughs> Absolutely. I think this is such a great topic because. Uh, experiences of stress and anxiety and even depression are so normal for people during the holidays. I think uh, for many of us, it's those family issues that we've been able to keep at a distance become very real and very close when we know we're going to have to deal with them during the holidays by maybe being more around family members we don't usually see And I think part of it too is a disconnection between what we expect and uh, with what really happens. And so sometimes during the holidays we can have these very high expectations of ourselves and others that just don't match up with our lived experience during the holidays. I think media contributes to that holiday hype. Um, And I think, again, we can have expectations that just aren't realistic, and so that can lead to
0: lots of stress and anxiety. One of the questions I have is, uh, one of the things I've noticed in my own journey is that when I go to engage with my family during the holidays, that it doesn't seem to matter how many years have passed. It is like once I go to visit them during the holidays, I am immediately sucked back into the way that family system functioned uh, whether the behaviors are healthy or unhealthy but what I've noticed in particular often is that I'll get sucked back into unhealthy behaviors and so what is that what is happening in those moments when we reconnect with our family and we find ourselves acting in a way that maybe we feel we've grown out of
1: I think that, too, is a very human experience. I was actually talking with my adult kids about that and curious with them how that happens for them when they come home in our family. But I find that um, attachment theory uh, is really helpful for me in trying to understand that. And Attachment theory suggests that we are all... um, We all are born with this strong, universal human need for connection with others, with connection with our primary caregivers, with significant others, a connection that is safe, predictable, um, where people are responsive to our needs. Um, John Bowlby writes that from the cradle to the grave, that our whole life is like an excursion from a safe base of relationships out into the world, and that we are happiest when we know we can come back to those safe relationships. And so I think when we are with our families, it activates those attachment needs and longings and fears and even injuries. And I think that sometimes we engage in those old patterns because we're trying to get it right. We come back into our families and we think maybe this time they'll see or hear or respond. And so we try and try again to get it right, often um, with some success, but sometimes without success. And I think it's related to that longing for attachment that's very normal and very human.
2: When you say it is it, we're doing it automatically, we don't even realize, Yes, we are trying to get it right.
1: hmm. I love that. Yeah, I think it is this um, longing that is within us um, again since we were born to have that kind of secure relationship mm-hmm. with significant others and the attachment relationships. I think we have early on can often uh, result in a pattern of a way of relating to others that carries throughout our adult life. But the nice thing about attachments is they can be reworked, and healing can be done, and we can make them better. So there is really that um, very real hope that um, if we keep trying to engage in different kinds of
0: relationships, that there can be progress. Thank goodness. Yes. Actually, yeah, I actually have a question about this, because. How do you, when you're going back in and you're kind of getting sucked back into that pattern, that way of being, that can happen unintentionally? Um, how, how in that moment, do you move toward health? Right? If it is a maladaptive way of behaving, but you are just driven by that longing to connect, what can we do to keep from falling into it? Still connect with our family, but operate out of a place of health. What are your words of advice?
1: It's a great question, and. I think there again may be expectations that realistically we probably are going to fall back into those same patterns. However, it doesn't have to, we don't have to go all the way through the dance Mm -hmm. uh, that may lead to hurt and disappointment and disappointed expectations. So, one strategy I think is to spend some time reflecting ahead of time before those family visits, um, and think a little bit about what are the patterns that we often fall into with our families, how they make us feel, and maybe what is the attachment, longing, or need, or fear underneath that. And then we can think about when those might get triggered, how it makes us feel in our bodies, um, what kinds of things we think about when those things get triggered, And that gives us an opportunity to do something different in that moment, even if it is a small step by doing something different. I think it puts us and our family relationships on a path um, of change and hopefully um, true closer relationships
0: our parents do the best they can. right? Yes. All of us, and we as parents are doing the best we can, right? And our kids will have some dysfunction that they have to recover from. But I remember going through this period in high school, my mom pulled me aside and she said, it is your job to make your sister happy. And what that meant was, anything good that happens to you, I don't want you to share it with your sister around. And I realized a few years ago that as I was heading into Thanksgiving, that I was Living, I was preparing to have another year where I wasn't going to share anything good that had happened in my life. It was okay if I shared the broken parts, but I was still holding up this kind of rule from 20 plus years ago about not sharing the good things, because you don't want to make your sister uncomfortable. And I really appreciate that you mentioned reflecting, because while it wasn't intentional, what happened is that there was a time of reflecting. And I, before Thanksgiving, decided this year I'm not going to live apologetically, I'm not going to withhold, and I'm going to state some of the good things that are happening in life, and I'm going to invite my family to celebrate those with me. And that was significant for both my sister and I. It um, really marked the beginning of a journey of of us both saying together, we're going to celebrate together the things that are happening in one another's lives. And it, it was the beginning of us really beginning to transform our family system as we knew it so I appreciate your words on reflection and also your encouragement that things can indeed begin to change if we're intentional about it and it's one small step and my one small step that year was I'm going to share some positive things that are happening in my life
1: Ah, such a great um, story Mm -hmm. of hope and healing and your own reflection of how your need for love and to be seen in your family was very conditional Yeah and so, thinking ahead of time about how you could take steps towards breaking that pattern and being seen
2: yeah.
1: is really powerful. And takes courage, though, to step into old relationships in a new way. Oh
2: yeah. yeah, we all know that. I mean, none of our families is perfect, and we all have traumas, and we're dealing with our own baggage our baggage. yes <laughs> we're all dealing with our own baggage and uh, many people don't know what, what is trauma? That sounds a fancy word but for many people that just just a regular folks.
1: what is trauma? I think of trauma as an event or a series of ongoing events that cause harm and it can be physical, emotional, psychological, even spiritual harm and that this harm has, can have a lasting impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, psychologically, we often think of trauma as something that happens outside of the norm of human experience, outside of our day-to-day life. It can be a traumatic loss, a traumatic um, relationship rupture. Uh, in the language of attachment, we also can talk about traumatic attachment injuries where there was a separation, a rejection, um, a a really hurtful exchange that has damaged a relationship in a traumatic way.
0: So how do you know in the midst of sitting with your family of origin when you are being triggered by a past trauma that you've experienced?
1: It's a great question, and I think it's really an important part of not... uh, falling back into those same patterns that leave us feeling unsafe, disconnected, disappointed, and rejected. I think we pay attention to our thoughts, pay attention to what's going on emotionally. Sometimes our bodies tell us when I'm experiencing some kind of a trigger, I start feeling really tense in my shoulders (laughs) and I can just feel the tension Mm -hmm. in my shoulders and in my stomach. And so we learn where our barometers are for stress and possible triggers of trauma. And then if we start behaving in a way that's um, uncharacteristic, that we are pulled into a type of behavior um, that feels maybe like an old pattern, I think that's also a sign that something is getting triggered and that we need to take a step back
0: and figure out what's going on. What is a safe and healthy and good thing to do? You talk about taking a step back in those moments, but practically what does that look like? What can I do in that moment?
1: I think uh, a couple of things I would suggest. One is to understand a little bit about what your usual part is in the interactional pattern. So let's say, like for me, when I get triggered in my family, I withdraw. I emotionally hide out. And so um, for me to take a step back when I'm triggered is kind of an old, healthy, unhealthy pattern. Mm -hmm. And I think it leads me to places of not feeling seen or heard. And so what I need to do when I get triggered is I need to use my voice. And so instead of stepping back as someone who usually withdraws in my family, I need to move forward maybe with curiosity about what's going on, maybe some empathy for what is going on for that other person that they may have launched an attack and try to move forward in the relationship um, in a different way.
2: You know, Dr. Watson, I was thinking here, and thinking, where did I
1: go when I feel trigger?
2: And I start thinking, I start having like very controversial question, because I'm ready, okay, bring it, I'm ready to fight.
1: <laughs> and it's
0: not good. <laughs> That's so self-aware, Gladys,
1: that you may go on the attack, right? Yeah. Um, so I you need to drop back, so I need a little bit of your yes. You can give yourself a timeout, yeah. step yeah. back, take a deep breath, so yeah. you can be your best self. That (laughs) And in that way, um, we're breaking the pattern, whatever that might be. And I think that helps us in the immediate relationship, but also in other relationships where we might behave with that same
0: withdrawal or attack. I really appreciate what you just said, because I think that so often uh, we play out those patterns of behavior that we have from our family of origin in other places in our lives, right? And so you talked earlier about courage. And if we can have a little bit of courage Mm -hmm. during Thanksgiving either to step forward if we need to step forward or to withdraw if we need to withdraw to be self-aware that not only can we live into a new way of being that will impact how we operate within our family and invite our entire family to a greater place of health but ultimately that can help set us on a new path so if we're afraid of handling conflict within our family of origin if we can do it begin to take steps in that direction during the holiday season, then we can be emboldened to do it in other environments, too. Absolutely. And I think that, again, is what's so hopeful about
1: bringing an attachment framework to family relationships, because it's about these universal longings um, for connection, um, for security and safety in relationships. And then I think it also is um, a challenge for each of us to be that safe person in our relationships, to be the peacemaker that comes into the family and tries to move forward with hope and empathy and understanding and curiosity and minimize sort of that reactivity, um, but hope that the relationships can improve in our immediate families and beyond.
0: But for people who have experienced intense abuse in their family or there's some level of toxicity, what do you say to them about this idea of leaning in, leaning into healing? When is the point in which you say, this is enough, no, this isn't healthy?
1: I think it is absolutely healthy at times to make a decision to not move forward and engage in family relationships where there has been trauma and abuse and there is uh, little evidence that your moving forward will be met with a reciprocal healthy response, especially when there hasn't been taking responsibility or acknowledgement of the harm that has been caused. Um, And so to be able to say no, to set limits uh, in those family relationships is critical. I work with my clients quite a bit around the holidays to help them think through in those kinds of family relationships how and where and how much time they spend with families where there has been abuse and how they can protect themselves and maybe their kids as well in those interactions.
2: I think one of the reasons why some people feel the pressure to not say no to this is having the idealistic picture perfect. Instagram post you know how how do we navigate this when we our expectations are so high because we're seeing that picture perfect family and I wanted my friends to know that I was with my family I don't want them everybody's posting their pictures with them together except for me because I said no how do you handle that
1: I think you're right that expectations is really key and maybe a realistic expectation is to have a one-hour meal at a restaurant with Ooh. a family where there's high conflict. Yes. And that's it.
0: Yeah.
1: And so if there is the Instagram picture of that one-hour meal together, that's a success.
2: Most people will have self-control in restaurants, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> exactly.
1: We don't want to get kicked out, right? Because I know. So so cool. we tell our kids. Just wait. (laughs) (laughs) So public settings can be a little safer. It's more under our control when we come and go. If um, things get unsafe, we can leave. Uh, And so I think um, careful planning about how and where, and again, what is success? Maybe just showing up for half an hour is success. Or sitting together through a church service and going separate ways afterwards. Mm-hmm. is a small step
0: towards Sorry, right. success. I, I love, love that. Those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Dr. Watson, you have walked us through a number of different things. First of all, you talked with us about this positive approach. And I, I really mm-hmm. have to tell you, I'm grateful for it. But this idea of framing it through attachment theory, the basis is really found in a desire for connection and love. Right? So yes. that anything that's, the dysfunction even, is really rooted in this deeper desire that's a beautiful and a good thing. So I love that you state that. I also love that you encourage us to reflect and to be aware of our own part in the dysfunction, that the dysfunction isn't just our family over there, that somehow we're a part of the system too. Yes. And so what's the part that we've been taking and where do we have power to help move the entire system toward health? I also really love what you just said which is what are realistic expectations and what does success look like? That is, there's a lot of freedom in that, knowing that success doesn't have to be 48 hours together with everyone miserable, that you know, <laughs> success may indeed just be this one hour dinner together. But I want to get some final thoughts from you. So I'd really love to know, kind of what are your top three tips that you would give us? You've stated so much beautiful wisdom, but what are your top three tips that you would give us for maintaining emotional health as we're engaging with our families this holiday season?
1: I would suggest three things. And the first, Kim, is what you've been talking about, that we take time before the holidays to reflect, to think about uh, and maybe journal, pray about the upcoming season and what the demands will be to think maybe about how our families for all of us are both a blessing and a curse
2: (laughs) and uh, to be able
1: to be grateful uh, for what they have brought us. I think even the most dysfunctional family has taught us something about humor or resilience, but also recognize our vulnerabilities and our family's vulnerabilities. So take that time to reflect and even reflecting on what um, is the most meaningful Um, opportunities there could be over the holidays that really could result in deeper connection to God, to ourselves, and others. And then the second thing would be, based on those reflections, make your plans. And so make those plans consistent with what you know to be true and meaningful and realistic um, and let that guide your priorities about holiday activities and schedules And then finally, just make sure those expectations are realistic. You know, think through your to-do list and maybe knock half of the things off of that list. Think about what we expect from others and maybe turn that around and think, how can we be that person to others that we want
0: others to be for us? Mm. Those would be my suggestions. So good so good <laughs> so good yeah and i have to tell you like i just really appreciate your words and i feel uh, encouraged i feel um like the idea of heading into the holidays is now even more accessible this framework that you gave through attachment theory in and, and really orienting us on this idea that it's all from a core desire of love and belonging I just find that very, very encouraging as I head into the holiday season. So, Dr. Watson, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. (laughs) It was my pleasure. We're so grateful. And we hope that you will join us next week as we continue our series on pursuing peace during the holidays by exploring what it looks like to serve others well and to empower others well during the holiday season and just a reminder you can find us on instagram at the pursuit of peace podcast and you can also find us online at www.thepursuitofpeacepodcast.com and we are your hosts Gladys geringer and i'm kim whetstone peace hope and love until we meet again bye-bye